Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. gruesome. This is episode 21. I am Meg and Connie, the light of my life, my co-host, is going to tell us all about James Bulger today or tonight, whenever you're listening. (laughs) All right, guys, this is going to be another polarizing case. And I'm really interested in hearing thoughts about this one when we're done. So like head to the comment section of our Instagram because this is going to raise some discussion. I know it. When you told me who it was, I was just like, Uh, Okay, let's do it. So last week, the case of Kitty Genovese and Winston Mosley and like the grim reality like of this whole idea of the bystander effect. I wanted to give another look at it. What happens when it's not a woman screaming that you hear late at night? What if it's just two boys with a toddler who very clearly is not related to them? And maybe you see the toddler screaming or, you know, we'll get into like, more detail. But what happens when it's not a woman late at night? What happens if you just see two kids walking down the street with the kid who's not theirs? How crazy does a situation have to be before the public interview? So the murder of James Bulger rocked the UK in February of 1993. And I mean rocked it. This case was everywhere, not only because it was absolutely brutal. So heads up, trigger warning, huge trigger warning. We have kidnapping, torture, murder of a child. This one is going to be incredibly rough. I understand if like you're like, I know this case. I'm not listening because it's awful. But it's because the murderers were 10 years old. I'm going to repeat that the murderers were 10 years old. I don't know a ton about this case because I kind of just like breezed over it at one point in my life. But just like the the torture that these kids mm-hmm. inflicted on like a baby makes yep. ugh, my it's, stomach is already like. Bleh. Yeah. And I know this is a well-known case, but I, I felt like I couldn't like I had to piggyback off of one bystander case with another one because this is a huge another huge example. And maybe by the end of these, you're going to it'll be the see something, say something. Something. You you won't be the person just standing there watching. You'll be more inclined to speak I feel like up. most people who listen to true crime podcasts are the ones who oh, are going to be like, hey, hey, where, whose kid is that? Yeah, whose kid is that? So yeah, without further ado, brace yourselves, guys, because this one's rough. Rough, rough, rough. James Patrick Bulger was born on March 16, 1990 to Denise and Ralph Bulger in Kirkby, Maryside, England. And he was so loved by his parents. His mother had a previous pregnancy um, that had resulted in a miscarriage. So she was overly protective of her son. He went everywhere with her. He was the light of their lives. If you Google him, the picture you're going to see is him with this huge smile on his face, this cute little sweater. And it's just, he's perfect, like absolutely perfect. So like I said, his mom was very protective over him. James went everywhere with her. On Friday, February 12th, Denise accompanied her brother's girlfriend, Nicola, to the Strand Shopping Center in Boodle. And of course, like I said, she brought James. At 2.30, they entered the mall. And you remember malls in the 90s? They were iconic. popping. Yeah. Yeah. It's the place to be. Nicola had to exchange some clothes at a store. Denise waited nearby. Um, For a moment, James had like disappeared from sight. You know, like kids are running around. If you ever go to a store with me and I let my daughter out of the stroller or the cart. Bolts. (laughs) It's so funny because she told me that and she was like, no, she will take off. And she set her down on the ground and just gone. I was like, no. She cannot be trusted. She is way too big to be riding in a shopping cart because my two-year-old is the size of like a (laughs) four-year-old. But she cannot be trusted. She You're gonna cannot get that kid be. like a piggyback leash or something. No. <laughs> she would just drag me. She- <laughs> 
It'd be like like trying to walk a big dog. And I'm sorry that I just compared my daughter to a big dog, but you know. Look, our kids are feral. It's fine. We yeah, understand. So, <laughs> so Denise picked him up. They went to a couple other stores. She bought him a snack, hoping to like kind of quiet him down. You know, when kids are crazy, you feed him. But you know, he's full of energy. He was too. So I read this part and like I had to include it because it, Meg, you remember taking my daughter to Goodwill. Uh, they went into a children's store, like a clothing store, and he was like throwing around baby clothes and like tossing candy and like juice. And yeah, I was like, oh, I, I feel that standard two year old shopping behavior. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, about an hour and a half later, they went to their final store. Denise is like, all right, I got to stop by this butcher shop. So Denise went in and she was holding James's hand the whole time. She lets go of it for a second. He's like running around the store so she, or the butcher shop. So she grabs his hand again. She gets up to take, you know, they're taking her order. She reaches in her purse to grab her wallet to pay for the order. She looks down and James is gone. Oh my gosh. I can't that, imagine. Like that quick. Oof. So immediately she's alerting security. They're calling for his name over the intercom. You know, people are looking for him. By 4.15, James is still nowhere to be found. So the police are called. They get the CCTV footage and shockingly, they see James being led out of the mall. And they're like, wait a second, that's not an adult. He's with two teenagers. And I say teenagers because the quality is not, the quality of the CTT, CCTV footage wasn't good at first. So they originally thought that the boys that he was with were between the ages of 14 and 16. Okay. So the original, one of the original investigators was like, hey, you know, maybe it's teenagers pay, playing a prank. They're kids. What could they do? <laughs> we should kidnap a toddler. Yeah, like... <laughs> such a messed up prank. <laughs> so Denise is quoted to saying, people often ask me if I blame myself for what happened that day, for taking my eyes off of him for that split second, for letting go of his hand as I looked for my purse, for not seeing what the CCTV footage later showed. Two suspects beckoned James away from my side at 3.39. 3.39. They were later shown 3.42 leaving. That's how long it took, from 3.39 to 3.42. The prosecution would later, like when they were presenting their case. It took, they had James in, they had lured James out of the ball in one minute and 39 seconds. So they were on. Wild. And also screw all of those people who are like, don't you blame yourself? Yeah. Like why would you? Fudge. So, you know, back in the 90s, and I, I don't see it so much now. I feel like because we have like Amber Alerts, pretty much as soon as a kid has been taken, an Amber Alert is released. But if you remember abductions like 90s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, it was the television plea. The parents were on TV like pleading for their children. So that's exactly what Denise did. And her statement about him breaks my heart. She said, please, if you have my baby, just bring him home. James's hair is ready for cutting because as you can see, his hair is a little bit longer in the photos. His eyes are blue, but in the right eye is a brown streak. He has a full set of baby teeth. And I don't know why <laughs> the baby teeth just it just broke me. Oh. It broke me. Because those little baby teeth are so cute. She recalled that he was wearing a t-shirt and loved anything to do with trains. And when you find out what happened, that statement is going to make you sick to your stomach. <sighs> Okay. So I'm going to get into it. I'm just going to destroy everyone. Trigger warning. I'm going to give you a second. You guys can fast forward a few minutes if you want, because this is like we told you before, we'd been kind of easy with like the less gruesome cases. This is going to take the cake for a while. Um, Two days later on Valentine's Day, Denise and Ralph's worst fears would become a reality. Four boys were walking up a trade track in Walton, Liverpool, and they saw what they thought was a cat or a doll wrapped up. Okay, what they found was a toddler's body that had been mutilated. Oh my God. He was, the toddler was identified as James Bolger and the crime scene was horrific. Again, I'm going to give, if this is be the time to fast forward. He had been hit with bricks and stones had a 22-pound plate that had been dropped on his head. Oh, my God. And the worst part was they had laid his body across a train. They knew a train was coming, so they laid him across it so it would look like an accident, and his body had been severed in two. Oh, no. I did not know that. That's yeah. the worst yeah. That's also like my worst nightmare. We used to have these train tracks behind my house. And I thought about that every time one went by. I was like, a train will hit me one day. 
That's yeah, just this, awful. It was it was awful. And earlier that day, a uh, train engineer had seen he what he thought was a cat. So he had made the call and he was like, hey, there's a cat out here. And like, you know, went about his day. But which I guess was like a common, it was common. It wasn't like a traumatic thing that he had no idea that there was a little boy's body in there. Like, did he not actually see it? Did he just like see it? How do you mistake a cat for a little boy? Um, Because of the size of him, all his upper torso was wrapped in his coat and that's all you could see oh okay yeah yeah um his there was distance in between his body from where the train had come through um his lower half was found completely naked they the police believed although the suspects that murderers would never like admit to and i'll get into their names and everything here in a few but they would never admit that there was a sexual element to it but he, he was completely naked um there were batteries involved that they believed i'm not going to get into it but like what they why they believed there would be a sexual element to it as far as like an assault and um there were some injuries to his groin area Ugh. james had 42 injuries mostly to his face and his head this is not counting um what like from the train yeah they had murdered him before the train came through but he was alive when they left what mm-hmm. yeah so he was he was murdered before the train or he was not dead before the train was the train yeah he was murdered before the train so they left when they left he was barely alive but he was still alive and the way the like the emmy report stated like he was the way the timeline was he was alive when the boys left, but he was not alive when the train came through. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's so, heartbreaking. Yeah. I kind of wanted to get the details of it out of the way first. And then, because it's it was awful. It is, I watched, I was telling Meg, I watched so many like videos and like I read so much about this. I, it was rough. It was a rough weekend. There are not many, I've said it before, there aren't many cases that have me like, oh, Jesus. And this is one that like, I was like, oh God, this is. And then it goes goes back to the boys were 10 years old. Yeah. This is not like some random grown man or some random adult. Just two broken little two kids. 10-year-old boys. Ugh. So now the search was on for these murderers. The CCTV stills were everywhere. James had blue paint thrown into his face. Oh. Yeah. And that blue paint would be one of the most crucial details of the entire crime scene. So, like I said, the CCTV stills were everywhere. And, and an anonymous woman called the police station because they had been bringing in, like, the usual suspects of ages, like, 14 to 16. Like, they were like, okay... Like, this is, you know, we're going to, any normal juveniles that get in trouble, we're going to bring them in. We're going to question them. One of the kids that had been brought in just as like a formality, like just for questioning, there wasn't any evidence pointing to him. Uh-huh. He had so many deaths. They had to leave. Like they had to flee. His fa- his whole family had to flee. That is how fired up this area was over this case. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. But the public opinion of the case is it, it's going to come into play multiple times. Well, that's important. Like, even in the um, the Joe case that we did, where mm-hmm. the, the media in the UK blows up stuff mm-hmm. crazier than it is. They point fingers. They say it's probably this person. Yeah, and then the neighbor, right? Out. It was the guy across the... the, the yeah, the, yeah. But they, made it, yeah. It, they made it seem like it was the weird looking landlord because yeah, of the way he looked. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that's similar to what happened to this. So, but this woman calls and she's like, hey, you know, my friend, Susan Venables, she she has a son named John and he skipped school on Friday and he had blue paint on his jacket sleeve. And, you know, looking at the videos, he kind of resembles the boy in the video. And he has a friend that he hangs out with who he also skipped school with named Robert Thompson. But, you know, Robert skipped school with him on Friday too. And at this point, the investigators had like no solid leads because there wasn't much evidence. And so they were like, you know what? Let's bring him in. Let's just go question them. Let's go see what's going on. So 7.30 in the morning on Thursday, February 18th, four police officers appeared on Ann Thompson's doorstep with a search warrant. When Robert realized that he was a suspect, he started to cry. They rounded up his clothes and they immediately noticed that there was blood on his shoes. When they brought him down, they said it was very shocking to see because he was a boy. You see it and you like, you know, he's going to be young, but then he comes downstairs and it's like, oh my God, this is a 10 year old boy. He had like his clothes already for school. He had like his hair done. 
done and they were taken back. Yeah, Yeah. I would be too. (laughs) So when they went to John's house, John Venables, his mother, Susan, answered the door and said, I knew you'd be here. I told him you'd want to see him for sagging school on Friday. So, <laughs> Yep, just they, for that. She had no idea. And she casually mentioned that, yeah, he came home from school on Friday. His coat was full of paint. So, <laughs> yeah, that blue paint. Busted man. Officers promptly asked for John's coat, which had been indeed splattered with blue paint. And it even appeared that there was a small handprint on the sleeve. Oh. Little baby handprint. John grabbed a hold of his mother and sobbed, I don't want to go to prison, mom. I didn't kill the baby. And he's like, it's that Robert Thompson. He always gets me in trouble. And through tears, John told police that they should speak to Robert. And they, as they drove him to the police station, he kept asking about Robert. Had they arrested him yet? Where were they taking him? The boys, especially John, were both terrified, but like fascinated by the whole police procedure. They took John's fingerprints and he nervously asked, like, how does this work? Will this invisible ink be on anything that I touch? If you touch someone's skin, will it leave a fingerprint? If you touch someone's skin without this, will it, does, does your skin leave a fingerprint? If you drag someone really, really hard, do your nail do you leave nails in his skin? Oof. And he wanted to know if they were taking Robert Thompson's prints too. They took blood, hair, fingerprint samples from both boys. It's just like, those are normal kid questions for that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah. it's just so scary. Yeah. So in the meantime, a shoe keeper from the Strand called the police and he said, the boys from the video might have been in their store the day that James disappeared. So the police came down and took fingerprints and John's were a match. So you're like, what the hell? What brings these boys like how can to what where does it go wrong yes where does it go wrong for what reason tiny boys would you do something like this and I'll be honest, I wish I had a I wish I had a reason to tell you, but I'll give you some I'll give you some background. I will give my opinion, we could discuss it, and then our listeners can give us their opinion. So Robert Thompson was born on August 23rd, 1982, and his home life was rough. His father was very abusive, both verbally, physically, and sexually. He was one of six six boys. Six boys. They always have like a million siblings. And this time it's like a whole house of testosterone, violent rage of testosterone, where the boys were brought up in horrible violence and it's just a horrible situation. So his dad bailed and his mom started drinking a lot because, I mean, she has six sons and they're out of control. He skipped a lot of school. He was in trouble a lot. He hung out with, you know, a bad group of kids. He was always in trouble for shoplifting. And like I said, he was always skipping school. He didn't have a history of violence, though. There was nothing that would lead investigators to be like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely, you know, we can see it. This is why he would do it. Mm -hmm. John, he did not have the traumatic upbringing that Robert had. He had a pretty normal family. His parents were estranged. I read that like they were in the process of like maybe trying to work things out, but he had siblings that had special needs and he was the middle child. And a social worker that came to do an assessment on the house said that it seemed that John was very jealous of them. Okay. What is eerie and insane is John's youngest brother could have been James's brother. Not like literally, but the way they looked. They had oh, he had a whoa. striking resemblance. That's Blonde weird. hair, blue eyes, and same age. So And this intense jealousy of this intense jealousy. Yep. So the interviews began with both boys immediately blaming each other. John wouldn't even admit to being at the strand the day of the murders until they questioned him for two days. And the second day is when the police were like, hey, Robert already told us that you guys were there. Robert was interviewed on Thursday, like the same day he was brought in by Detective Sergeant Phil Roberts and Detective Constable Bob Jacobs, very police officer names. <laughs> very, sound very official. The interview was recorded with his mom sitting next to him and he had legal representation and questioning a 10-year-old boy, they said, was the most difficult thing because it's like they didn't even know if Robert grasped what was going on or if that he understood his legal rights. They asked him if they he knew the difference between truth and lies. And he's like, yeah, I understand. But during the course of the interview, he would lie, truth, lie, truth. And it, the, some of the stuff that he lied about was stupid, like what kind of homework he had. And it's hard for me because I have a 10-year-old right now. <laughs> 
have a 10 year old and I know that he lies about things. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? For why? Yeah. I can see that you are lying. And he replied to questions with like the bratty 10 year old. I was there. You weren't. Or yeah, that's what you think. Oh, and I would have beat but, that kid. Yeah. But his lying skills would, they would soon snap like just, I don't know if you could hear me snap, but <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> so Robert finally admitted that he and John skipped school that Friday and went to the Strand Shopping Center where they walked around looking at the shops. And what that meant was they were walking around shoplifting, but he was trying to sound more like a witness and not like a suspect. So he claimed that he's like, oh yeah, I did see James with his mom. Well, John and I were there. We were on the escalator and the investigator was like, wait, why would he take notice of this little boy with his mom on an escalator when that's not even where he was taken from? Mm -hmm. And there's like tons of, it's the 90s, a mall on a Friday. So there's tons tons, of people. There's tons of moms and children there. Like, why did he specifically recognize James and his mom? But he's like, yeah, we left. We went to the library and then we came home. So they took a break. Kids were hanging out at libraries. No, they took a break and John was getting interviewed. Robert was getting interviewed. They're both, it's like that Spider Man meme where like everyone's pointing (laughs) fingers at everyone. That's what was going on right here. So Robert says, you know, maybe perhaps John did do something bad. You know, maybe he did, he might have made a baby follow him and then lost him somewhere. But I don't know because I didn't look behind my shoulder, which in the video, John is the one leading him out and Robert kind of just like doping in front of them. And when investigators are like, yeah, you know, you, you look like the boy in the video. You have the same jacket. And Robert was like, well, there's a lot of jackets like mine. And Robert was the one that John is like, it's definitely that one. It's definitely him. He did it. Yeah. When he first got arrested, John was like, yep, it it wasn't me. Okay. Robert. But Robert had, and it would, it would affect like how the public perceived him through this entire thing. He was not very emotional, not necessarily for the like, not like a trauma for his whole life. Why would he? Yeah. Okay. And you know, I I, I don't want to say like, it's not because he's, you know, not a psychopath because, you know, he did a, this was horrific, but his lack of emotion is how he was brought up. Yeah. So during the interview, the detective Robert tells him, we believe that you left with baby James and with John. And Robert says, who says? Detective Roberts is like, we say now. And Robert continues like, hey, no, I never left with him. And then he's like, well, tell me what happened. And then he looks, he's like, well, it shows in the paper that John had a hold of his hand because they had seen the pictures. So he knew that like the, the picture showed that John had James's hand. Yeah. So it's like the detectives were like, well, look, he just admitted to seeing this without like trying to admit that he saw it because he's like, no, I didn't. But he also claimed that he was with John all day. So it's like, <laughs> wait, how do you, how are you with him all day? You're getting your but little you lies know. twisted up, buddy. Yeah. And when he was caught in a lie, they would, that would be when he would cry. Oh. So, it's, I mean, I don't like, it sucks because this is gross, but it's also sad because yeah. they're, they're 10. And, yeah, they're 10. And like, that's what I said. So Robert finally admitted that John had James by the hand and they walked around, but they let him go by the church, which is outside of the mall. But there is a great video called James Bolger, The New Revelations. And it's it takes it from like a psychological side um, of Robert and John, and it goes into their upbringing and it goes, it has um, excerpts from the interrogation in it. And it's pretty like, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking. How does it, how is it heartbreaking? So you really see that these 10 year old boys have no idea the gravity of what they have done. At one point, John asked um, are you going to take him to the hospital to like make him better, like make him alive again? Ugh. In the video, it shows Robert starts crying because he's like, I'm going to get all the blame for this. You're going to blame me for all of this. I'm going to get all the blame. And then finally he starts, he's like, why do I have to stay here? John is the one that took that baby. And then the next morning, Robert said that he left John and James by the railway after John threw paint in James's eye. And he had no idea what happened that. So again, he's like trying to separate himself 
himself. He's like, nope, I was just there, but I, I wasn't there. I was there up until he went to the railways. Like, I don't know what happened up there. I wasn't there. And uh, back to the battery situation, um, when the investigators asked if he had stolen batteries, Robert's face turned beet red. Mm. And they were like, you know, your face is getting, you okay? And he's like, I'm really hot. And he denied it, but he was obviously very embarrassed by the mention of the batteries. And like I said, it has a sexual aspect to it that I don't want to get into because it's horrific. But that's when he is like, hey, John went on this out of control killing frenzy. He claimed that John threw uh, bricks at James and then he hit him with a big metal thing with holes in it. And then John hit James with a stick and James was lying there. His eyes were still open across the tracks and John had the batteries and threw one of them at James's face. And he's like, all the time I'm trying to like pull him off. I'm trying to pull him away and screaming at him to stop. So the detectives are like, why did John do this? And he's like, I don't know. I only, I only pinched as in like, I only shoplifted. So as in oh, like, okay. I just shoplifted the batteries. Yeah. When investigators tell Robert that they think that he hit James and Robert just looks at him, he's like, well, that's what you think. And that's when he, he was crying. He was like showing genuine concern because his mom is in there during this interview. Oh, his mom is there too? Mm-hmm. Because he's 10. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I guess that makes sense. No. I didn't realize that they wouldn't, like they wouldn't. Nope. The mom was, both mo- moms were in there. And actually in John's interview that you could hear on this documentary, you hear his mom, you better tell the truth. <laughs> and the, the detective was like, hey, you know, you know, no, no need to get upset. Let's just try to tone it down. But she was like, you know, get, her son was uh, had yeah. been, like if had was... been arrested for a brutal murder. Yeah. Do, when after his James's body was found, um, there was a memorial that was set up like at the railway and Robert had taken a, a single rose to this memorial. And so the investigators, like the detectives that are interviewing, they bring it up. They're like, okay, tell us again what happened. And he's like, I tried to get him off. He just kept hitting him and hitting him and I couldn't do anything about it. And they're like, okay, why did you bring a rose to James's memorial? And he said, because then baby James would know I tried to help him and that I'm thinking of him now. And he was genuinely concerned and expressed a lot of fear about being haunted by James. Oh, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. So the next day, this is now on the third day of interrogation, Robert admits to touching James, but he said it was only because he was trying to move him off of the track. And that's that was his excuse for why he had blood on his shoe. Mm -hmm. And he said that he put James down where he was which was across the rail because I there was so much blood. I didn't want my mom to get mad that I had so much blood on my clothes. And he starts crying again, saying like, you know, John's going to get off easy and you can ask our teachers. John's the worst one. I'm not the bad one. It's John. Like, why would I want to kill him? Um, I have I have my own I have my own baby brother and like I've got a baby of my own. Like if I wanted to kill a baby, I'd kill my own, wouldn't I? Oof. Yeah, which is so Robert. Had Robert baby. and John. Yeah, they both have they both have siblings. They both like, have little siblings. baby brothers. Yeah. Okay. And then he was asked about the trauma to James's genitals. And that is what upset Robert the most. He was like, I'm not a pervert. Like, why would you think I was a pervert? I didn't touch him. I didn't touch his privates. That was John. John pulled his pants down and was touching his, what he referred to as his willy. So like I said, for the most part, Robert kept his composure besides that specific question. He was very upset that he was even asked that. And on the opposite side, John John was hysterical from the beginning which apparently was um, pretty classic for his personality. Like that's how he was. He was always like just really over the top and he would have outbursts and be kind of crazy. Um, 10 year old crazy, you know, like <laughs> think of hyper hyperactive 10 year old. Yeah. Um, he was extremely scared and intimidated. He would get so upset during the questions that they like he couldn't speak. So they would have to like stop it. And the detective said that he didn't lie. Whereas like Robert would like straight up lie John just would avoid, like, kind of sidestep the question and, like, just avoid the truth. Mm -hmm. After he calmed down and he was encouraged to be honest, his mom was like, you know, you can be honest, John. Like, you can be honest. He started to admit some things. Like what? Um, So the detectives had to pull her and his dad aside and say, hey, we need you to tell John that you're still going to love him no matter what he tells us. And that they they did that. And he opened up. He said that um, Robert was the bad one. You know, of course, I said (laughs) they just go back and forth. And like, you know, Robert is the one that does that. I'm too, I'm too scared. I don't do the type of things that Robert does. You know, it was Robert's idea to miss school. And he said that like they went to the park, they went like the day of the 
um, that James was murdered, that they went to the park, they went to old railways, they went to a cemetery. Robert wanted to steal the flowers from the cemetery, but John said no. He, John stole, John said that Robert stole the paint and he threw it at John and that was how blue paint got on his jacket. He made no mention of going to the Strand, no mention of even being there. And that's when I said later on, they were like, hey, Robert's already told us. Oh, okay, like, yeah. Yeah, they were like, and he cried. He was like, wait, Robert's lying. And he's like, we weren't there. And he was like, but okay, yeah, we saw were. them on the CCTV. Yeah. Like he, oh man, these kids. They, when they saw John, they said that he did not appear 10 years old. He had the physique and like the mentality of maybe like an eight-year-old. He was very small statured. They didn't get the idea that he knew exactly what was going on to say. Like he wasn't, like he wasn't grasping what had happened. His mom was like, were you there? This is like when his mom starts getting mad at him when they're questioning him. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, but we never got a kid, mom. We never got a kid. And then that's when the detective was like, hey, you know, I'm going to ask you, please don't get angry with him. And John continues. He's like, we never got a kid, mom. We never got a kid. You think we did, but we never did. And then that's when they, his parents had like pulled him to the side and they're like, hey, we're still going to love you. No matter what you tell us, we're going to love you. So they, the, the next day, the detectives are like, hey, Robert told us that you took the baby, like you took James. And he's like, I haven't touched a boy. And then he keeps going. He's like screaming, getting hysterical. And he's like, I've never killed him. We took him and we left him at the canal. That's it. We didn't do anything. But Robert said they left him at the church, right? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different things. So they th- they were under the impression that John actually did want to tell the truth. So they kept press they kept pressing it, mm-hmm. and then he finally sunk his head down and he said, "I did kill him. What about his mom? Will you tell her that I'm sorry?" Oh God! And the the I in his statement because he did not say we killed him. Yeah, he said. I did kill him. And that was the part that like investigators were like, wait a second. Like we we know that Robert had something to do with this. But at this point, we don't really know the gravity of it. And like I said, that both boys continued to blame each other. But at this point, the investigators had everything they need to formally charge the boys. And at, since they had just turned 10 in August, they barely met the age of criminal responsibility. Had this happened in July, they would have not even been able to be charged. Even if they did it, they wouldn't be able to be charged. They were the youngest people to be charged with murder in the UK in 250 years. Oh my gosh. Because they're 10 and you don't think about this with yeah. a 10-year-old. Did they charge another 10-year-old 250 years before that? Like, I'm kind of interested in that one yeah, now. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I do know there was a there was an 11 year old uh i think it was in the 60s and she murdered two toddlers what is going on over there guys (laughs) i don't know so like i told the town was going crazy for this the trial started in november and there were mobs there were protesters and at this point the their names had not been released it was you know Suspect A and Suspect B. That was it. They were not, their names were not released. They knew that they were 10 year olds. Like they knew that they were young boys, but their identity wasn't revealed. There were people trying to stop the vans back and forth to the courthouse because they were, you know, they wanted to kill them. There were death threats. There was, they were saying, like, shouting. Adults were like, we're going to kill these kids. Yeah. They were like, hang the bastards. That was posted everywhere. Hang the bastards. And they're 10. I don't want to take away from the gravity of the crime, but they're 10. And I, that's the part that I had to keep like bringing myself back to for 10. And there were, so the trial starts, it was determined that there were 38 witnesses from the time that James was taken all the way up until he was, they were walking up the train rails with him. Oh my gosh. 38. And this isn't, this isn't just like, oh, you know, maybe I saw, this is 38 people. And most of these people interacted with them. What? Like how? So I'm going to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, there's more. These, they were deemed the Liverpool 38 and all of them were witnesses and they all gave their testimonies during the trial. And some of them even had, people were going crazy. Like, why didn't you stop anything? Why didn't some you of them do were, something? And some of them, what they, they didn't see James crying or being hurt. They saw them playing with him, swinging him. You know, like what, when someone has like, each of you have like an arm and you're like swinging him and James was laughing. So people saw that side of it. And then, um, um, at one point, James had fallen 
mm-hmm. and hit his head and he, he had like a mark on his head and he was bleeding and an elderly woman stopped and was like, hey, what's the problem? And like, you know, James is in tears. His face is bruised and red. And they're like, we just found him at the bottom of the hill. We're going to... um." We're going to take him to the police station. <laughs> okay. So and she's like, like, oh, okay. Take him to the Walton Lane police station just down the road. Here are the directions. And she said that the little boy's injuries worried her. She pointed them in the direction of the police and she watched them take off in the opposite direction. And she shouted after them, but they didn't turn back. And she just stood there like, uh, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what to maybe do. you should go down to the Walton police station yeah, and like, say take something. Yeah, ass down to the Walton Lane police station where you just gave them directions. Huh. The, this is because I know that like I was really pissed off last week with these bystanders yelling out the window like, hey, knock it off. Leave her alone. You mean the one but, guy? Like, <laughs> the one guy. But like how so many people heard what was going on. It's like, eh. But like just know that like you are seeing this little boy bleeding. Yeah. So later that night, there was one lady who saw, I told you, like not all of them saw James crying. One lady saw um, them playing with him and like James had been laughing and she was like, oh, the baby's, you know, he's okay. Cause he still had this like gash in his head and he was bleeding. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, he's okay. They're probably just, you know, inexperienced brothers watching their little sibling, which, you know, I get that, you know, I would still be like, hey, you fine? Like, is everything okay? But she saw the news of James missing on television that night and so she called the police and she was like hey this is what I saw and she said like I wish I had done something is I'm sure all of these people yeah absolutely so the boys continue their walk they walked James two and a half miles a two-year-old two and a half mile and it that alone is like holy crap like that's my two-year-old would not walk two and a half miles she'd run so yeah she (laughs) she probably would you're right I'm sorry no uh, mine wouldn't either I'm with you they were walking into shop they walked into a pet shop and they looked at there was like a dead fish in there and they were like hey fish is dead and when they were in there the pet shop owner noticed how tight John had James's hand Uh and would not let him go. And then they were walking up a knoll and they ended up on a road called County Road. And like I said, it was like a two, at this point, it was like a two and a half mile hike. Mm -hmm. A woman was walking a dog and she like looked at the boys with James and she was like, hey, what's going on? And they were like, hey, we found him. He's a lost boy at the Strand. And, you know, we're on our way to the police station. And another concerned woman who had a little girl with her was like, well, well, you've walked a long way from the Strand to the Walton Lane police station. And John was like, oh, that's, oops, I have my mic. That's where a man directed us when they asked where he lived. Uh, Robert was going to answer, but John cut him off. The police station is on our way home. So John was like very much taking control of that situation. So Robert let go of James's hand at this point as if to be like, take him. And the woman watched Robert as he like kind of like looked away and he seemed really nervous. But then John was like, get a hold of his hand. And then Robert grabbed his hand again and they took like they started off and the younger woman who had the little girl was like are you all right son and like James didn't respond to her because he's been in a, through a traumatic experience for the past couple hours yeah and John was like hey we're gonna find the police station we got this and the woman was like uh oh, something's not right and it's getting dark and she's like I don't feel like these boys are being honest so she asked this other woman who had the dog I don't know if they knew each other or not or if it's just like that's how small the area was where you just know people but she's like will you watch my dog daughter, I'm going to take him to the police station. And the other woman was like, no, my dog doesn't like kids. What? Duh. Yeah, so. But also, why boy- wouldn't you just take your daughter, too? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because these are 10-year-olds. You could probably kick their ass and take this kid from them. Right? I Yeah. I mean, yeah. So they're like, are you sure you know the way? And he's like, yeah, I'll go that way. And pointed in the direction. And then they walked into a candy store. And the, like Robert asked the clerk where they could buy some candy for their little brother. And they noticed that James had bruises and scrapes. And then, like I said, they stopped, they had stopped at a pet shop. And Robert saw the fish at the bottom of the tank and was like talking crap to the shopkeeper about how it was dead. And it's just, there were so, and I could go through all of these. I mean, I'm not going to because it would take me all night, but there were so many instances where people saw him, talked to them and interacted like, hey, and like, (laughs) it's just, it was insane. I think that if 
I saw two 10 year olds that were like, this is the missing kid. We're taking him. I would be like, no, I'm taking him. Like, yeah, that, like that would be my you. reaction. Thank you for your help for th- getting him this far. Yeah. But I would be Mama's like, you guys take can come too. Let's all go. I'm coming Let's with you. Let's go. Or I will kick your ass and take this kid. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Especially if you know the kid is missing. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> like, wow. Yeah. I'm frustrated. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes on up until like there was a 14 year old girl who saw them walking up the hill. And what was crazy is the different accounts of seeing John and Robert. It's like at one point, Robert was carrying James like he was a little baby, like, you know, like a cradling him. And then there were times when John was holding his hand. So it's like they were both involved. It, it's very intense. Like it's very crazy. Muddy. Yeah, very muddy. At one point, they were walking down by a reservoir and they sat James on the edge of it and they're like, we should just push him in. <gasps> and then they decided not to, which obviously what happened was far more brutal. But they that's they just kept on about their way. So yeah. So were the the 38 injury not the 38, the 49 injuries? 42? 42, yeah. Were those happening like while this was happening, like while he was walking through town also? Did it all happen like in the woods? Two, he had one bruise and cut on his head from where he had fallen, but the rest of it was from the train tracks because it would be during the trial would come out like they had taken him up there with the paint in his eye and then they just brutalized him with bricks and stones and that 22 pound plate. It was it was horrific. Ugh, that's awful. Absolutely horrific. So the trial began, like I said, on November 1st, 1993. They, they built a special platform for the boys to sit on. And that would later be, they would come out and say like, hey, that's probably not very fair to the boys. Like they were put on display. Robert kept his composure just like he had this entire time. John was hysterical. John started having horrible PTSD. He would leave the trial and take off all of his clothes, said that he could smell baby James on him. He had flashbacks of saying that he could smell baby James, like he could smell him at the courtroom. And then later on, like while he was, uh, I don't want to say like in jail, because when they are found guilty, they don't go to jail, they go to like a boy's home. He literally thought that James was growing inside of him. He would have dreams of giving birth to him. to like bring him back. Yeah. He had a rough, like really rough time mentally following this as anyone would. So they were found guilty and the sentence that they got was kind of, it was strange. Like I think of it as strange because it wasn't a fixed sentence. It was, you're going to be in, you're going to be like held until we know you can you have been rehabilitated and can be let back into the world but it will be at least until you're 18 so 8 years the biggest thing with the whole trial was do they even know what's right or wrong yeah can they even grasp this so that had an effect on how they were their sentencing their boys home that, that they had went to i another video that i had watched it looked like a hotel they each had their own rooms there were like basketball goals there were swimming pools was, and the idea is as we know from previous cases, you cannot keep these kids isolated in cells because that is not going to rehabilitate them. Nope. They they have to have therapy. They have to have like group activity. They have to be around other kids. And Liverpool was pissed that that's the, the situation that these boys were in. They were like, nope, they should be in real prison with adults. And they were like, <laughs> how will they? They're 10. Like, they're 10. Yeah. They're 10 years old. You can't put them in prison with adults. No, you cannot put them in prison with adults. So after extensive rehabilitation therapy, lots and lots and lots of therapy, in 2001, the both of the boys were paroled. In 01? 2001. Okay. Yep. So the, the part that is like insane to Liverpool and like UK as a whole, they were not released like, okay, this is John, this is Robert, they're going about their day. They were released with complete new identity like released out into the wild. Everything, it is illegal to even search for their address 
you could be jailed for searching for their address. If you release pictures of them, you can be jailed. Oh, okay. Just they, yeah, like they were, it's essentially like witness protection. I wonder how that works differently there than here. I don't know. I know that like they're strict about it because um, there was a picture that was released of John Venables and the people were, they got some jail time for it. So I should add Robert Thompson was released. He has been a model citizen as far as everyone, you know, like as far as we know. What is known about him is he's in like a stable relationship. He, the person he is with that um, he knows his identity. So like there's one person that knows who he is besides his family. Their families were also relocated because of like threat of violence. Yeah. Before they were released, it was not known that they were going to get their identities changed. They just was like, they were like, all right, they're up for parole. Robert Thompson really seemed to be rehabilitated. The letter that he was like, I am not the same person I was. I hate to say this, but I have had like education and like comfort and therapy that I have now that I would not have gotten as sad as it is to say, if I had not committed this murder, I am deeply sorry. And I know that nothing I say will ever take this back type thing. He really, all of the court reports and all of like the um, evaluations, they said that the person that he is now is not the person that came in, which, you know, it's, he had a horrible home life. Like, yeah, if anything, they might've offered him that stability to like, actually exactly. When they were up for parole, there were people waiting to find out when it was going to be, where they were going to be, because they were, they're like, we're going to do some vigilante justice. They've been hanging out in this hotel for the past eight years. Like it's not the, and they, the biggest problem came with it is because they did not ever serve time in like an actual prison. They were released prior to that so that they wouldn't serve time in prison. I mean, time served. That makes sense. I, like, yeah. I and know that's the crime said, is awful. I know it's the worst. It's gross. And I wish that I could tell you that like the same sentence is echoed for John. Like he, you know, he was released and rehabilitated, but it is, that is not the case. He's been arrested twice (sighs) for child pornography. He is currently in prison. His parole was denied in 2020. And uh, James's dad just lost an appeal in 2019 because he was trying to get his identity like released because he's like part of the agreement was they did not reoffend. That is why they got this new life, this new identity. Uh-huh. But he did reoffend with two more children's crimes. Ugh. And it was denied. They still would not release his actual name. It's just known that he was arrested for. And he like, it's hard because I think even I just think there's more to him. Like there was more to the whole case with John versus um, Robert. It's So you think that it was mostly John and Robert like just kind of went along with it or? I think so. I get that vibe. Yes. I, I do. Even though Robert, I mean also because Robert was kind of traumatized and abused and why would he want to do that to someone else? I mean, I know some people go that direction, but it doesn't seem like that's... No, and if he... I would think that with him having as many brothers as he does and like his whole family dynamic, that it would be... I don't know, that it there would be violence and... But neither one of them had any history of violence. And that's what makes this case like so shocking. And that's why it's hard to even discuss because there's no... Like, what the hell? Like, what was the reasoning? Because neither one of them have ever given the reasoning. And it took five years for Robert to even discuss the details of it because he would say he's still trying to sort it out in his head. Yeah, I bet. And I do think the trauma, I don't want to take away from James. I don't want to take away from the murder, but like it's hard when they're 10-year-olds. Like it's hard when... When they are also babies. I am not the same person. I've I've never done anything remotely close to this, obviously, but I'm not the same person I was when I was 10, thank God. And so it's hard to say like who you are at 10, you can't be rehabilitated. I fully believe in therapy. I fully believe, you know, and I trust psychologists and like people who study inmates. That's what they do. It's very hard to like bullshit a psychologist they can see right through you. Like, spoiler alert, they see right through you. So I have a hard time believing that in this eight years, they, Robert put on this big 
you know, I, I'm changed. I'm not the same person. I just don't see that. I think that it was like genuine growth, like genuine remorse, genuine like trying to do what he can to like have a better life. And I mean, the evidence is he's never committed any crime since then. Yeah. Yes, you know, I he's agree. been, whereas John is like still doing weird Messed shit. Messed up stuff. Yeah. I just, Mrs. Uh, well, that's a bummer. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's it for the sick. man. <laughs> yeah. So I what I want to know from our listeners is do you agree with them being rehabilitated? Do you agree with like giving I don't like giving them the second chance to like have this witness protection? Just tell me what you guys think. Because I want to know. Because I'm very, I have big feelings about this case on both sides of it. Because I have a two-year-old and I have a 10-year-old. And I agree. Like, I agree that they should have been rehabilitated. I think that was the right choice. We couldn't have known that John was going to go out and do that, like, mm-hmm. messed up stuff afterwards. Um, yeah, and the, the PTSD and, like, the the hallucinations and stuff that he had, they, they were gnarly. Like, Yeah, that's crazy. It's insane. Like he literally thought that he was pregnant with baby James, which as we know for multiple reasons cannot <laughs> cannot take cannot place. happen. But in the mind of a 10-year-old who just traumatized yeah. himself pretty much. And it goes the trauma from this case like exp- the two of the boys who found James's body, they also cite the PTSD is like the reason why they had such significant drug use following this and they've been career criminals since then too. In and out for drug related charges just the kids that found the body yeah whoa and like i i tiptoe on saying i agree with like the rehabilitation because i cannot imagine this happening to one of my children and being okay with the rehabilitation yeah Yeah. and so i get the i get the parents being like oh hell no like i think they should be in prison forever i think they should be in prison forever and then some because i would i can't say i wouldn't feel the same i'd probably feel it would i i don't know like i it's there. I think you have two type. There's two types of when a child is victimized, you have two types of parents that I've seen in the cases. You have the parents that like, I want you to be held accountable for what when it's like when children are involved, I should say yeah. not like an adult, an adult perpetrator. I'm talking like when it's a crime, children among children. You have like the Shanda Sharer case where her mom was like, I support this rehab. I'm going to help you in your rehabilitation. And then you have Denise Bolger. I mean, she's remarried now, but where she's like, nope, I don't want to hear any part of it. And both of these are correct responses. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's not really a right answer. Both of these are valid. Both of these are very valid and it's just awful and it's brutal. And I had to, it's insane that they were talking talked to by so many different people and that that one though that knew that he was missing and was just like yeah he's missing from the strand take him (laughs) like what the hell Uh, uh, that's the worst yeah so serious bummer of a case yeah it's even hard to talk about like i know i sounded kind of rattled in some points because it's just like holy shit yeah it's it's almost like overwhelming to think about like the reality of it it took me all week to write it because I had to keep coming back to it. Taking a break. Yeah, I was like, okay. It was rough. Sometimes I Google them after we talk about them so I can like look at pictures and stuff, but I'm not going to do that (laughs) this time. No, this one is I don't want to see anything. No. And luckily they don't have any, I mean, they don't have, because the only pictures ever released of the two boys are their mugshots and then the CCTV. That's it. And if you Google, if you try to find their addresses, if you try to find their identity, you can be jailed. Like it is, and it's not UK, it's worldwide. That's a worldwide thing. Oh, it is? In, yeah. In regards to the them specifically. They are like literally in witness protection. Like and John, well, I mean, yeah, John, John has had anymore, right? no he's still he's not in he's not in jail he's on his one he's on his second identity because he gave up his first he told someone else about his first identity <laughs> And he's the, he's in prison now, but it's not under his name. It's under some random name. So, you know, it's crazy. <sighs> yeah. Whew. Yeah. So that's it for me. <laughs> I don't even have anything to say with that other than we'll see you guys next week. See you next Wednesday. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie, and Meg. We appreciate every single one of you. 
We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade, or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com, and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're We're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.